Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters four through eight in Psalm eight. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Three times you have mocked me. Three times you have told me nothing but lies. Where is your great strength? She pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him. Her soul was vexed. And then he told her all his mind. A razor has never come upon my head. That was the one part of the Nazarite vow he hadn't broken yet. A razor has never come upon my head. A Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I shaved, then my strength would leave me and I would become weak like any normal man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her whole mind, he had told her his whole heart, his whole mind, she knew it was true. And she told the Philistines, come up at once. He has told me all his mind. And the Lord of the Philistines came up, brought the money, gave her the 1,100 pieces of silver. So it was three denials followed by a payment of silver. She made him sleep upon her knees and she called a man. She had him shave off the seven locks of his head while he was sleeping And she began to torment him, and all his strength left him the moment he woke up with no hair. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He woke up from his sleep. He said, I will go out at all the other times. I will shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Contact with grapes and wine, eating from death, and now cutting his hair, the three vows of the Nazarite vow. He's broken them all. And the Philistines seized Samson. They gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters in the prison, and they made him grind the mill day after day after day after year after year. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, which you will learn about today as well. Dagon, the god, main god of the Philistines. And they said, our god, little g god, our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. For they said, only god, only Dagon could do this. He has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Dagon the same God that we will learn about in 1 Samuel. And when the people saw Samson, they praised God. And they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands. The ravager of our country, he has slain many of us. And they wanted to make merry their hearts. They started drinking. They said, call Samson out that he could make sport for us. They called Samson out of the prison. They made, he made sport for them. And they made him stand between the pillars while they laughed at him. And Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests that I may have. May I lean against them. Now the house was full of women and men. Lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof, there were the 3,000 men and women who were looking on Samson, making sport of him. Then Samson called out to the Lord God of Israel, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be avenged upon the Philistines for one of my two eyes. This will just count for one of my two eyes. That's how much revenge he had. 
And Samson grasped the two middle pillars upon which the house rested. And he leaned his weight upon them and his right hand on one and his left on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his might and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were in it. So the dead whom he slew at his death were more than those whom he had slain during his entire life. And he's buried there to this day in Zorah. He had judged Israel for 20 years. Now, I tell you that story because it's in the same time frame and I want you to see who these Philistines are. Samuel's first prophecy was a difficult one to deliver. The priesthood is going to be removed from the family of Eli. And here we go today, 1 Samuel 4. The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Now Israel went out to battle who? Against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up a line against Israel and the battle spread who slew 4,000 men that day. 4,000 Israelite men were slain. The troops came to the camp to the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord put us out route today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that he could come with us and save us from the powers of our enemies. 4,000 have already been killed. They didn't have the ark with them because the ark's up in Shiloh, remember? They said, we need God with us in battle. We need God with us against the Philistines. They remembered Samson, I'm sure. So the people sent to Shiloh, they brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who's enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Remember those two? Remember Hophnius and Hophni and Phinehas? Those scandalous, wicked sons of Eli. When the ark of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard of the noise of the shouting, they said, what? What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? The Philistines heard it. The loud thunder, the people shouting and praising God. They're scared. What, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? When they learned that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord God had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. And they said, a God, a little G God, has come into the camp. Oh, they didn't know. It's a big G God, the only God. And they said, woe to us. Nothing like this has ever happened to us before. They worshiped little G gods. But the God of Israel was a big G God, the only God, the true God. And the Philistines remembered what this God, the Israelites God, had done to Pharaoh of Egypt when he brought those 10 plagues. Who can deliver us from the, these mighty gods? These gods who smote the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage, acquit yourselves like men. Be like men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves of the Hebrews. Ooh, what could be worse than the great Philistine nation becoming slaves of the puny, weak Israelites? Stand up, acquit yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And guess what? Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter. And that day, 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel died in a single day. 30,000 Hebrews dead by the Philistines. And even worse than that, the ark of God was captured taken by the Philistine army, the Ark of Israel's God. The Philistines had captured it in war. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. The true presence of God was gone. It wasn't with them anymore. There is no greater prize than the true presence of God. The saints knew that. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, captured, gone, stolen, taken. And also, 
the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. They were among the 30,000 dead. They were both killed in a single day. Those wicked sons of Eli who took all the fat, all the first fruits of the offering to God, they ate the fat themselves. And they laid with women, harlots, at the gate of the city. They had contempt for the Lord, and Eli knew it. They were wicked. And Eli had a prophecy. He had a prophecy that his house would fall and his two sons would be killed in a single day that the Lord would slay them for his purpose because God had his eye on a new prophet, little Samuel. He was raising up a new line of priests, a new line of prophets, and eventually a new line of kings. Remember what he said last week, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind, and I will bring him into a sure house, and he will go in and he will go out, and he, Samuel, will be my anointed forever. This is what was promised, that Hophni and Phinehas, both of them would die in a single day. Remember the prophecy to the man. The prophecy had been fulfilled. Both wicked sons of Eli were dead, killed in a single day. The Lord had fulfilled the prophecy. A man from the tribe of Benjamin came running from the battle line. He came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent. He had earth upon his head. He arrived. Eli was sitting upon his seat on the road watching, for his heart was trembling for the ark of God that he, as the high priest of Israel, was responsible for. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is the outroar? And the man hastened and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were set that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. Oh, Eli said, tell me, tell me, how did it go? How did it go? How did it go? And he said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among your people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are both dead, and the ark of God has been captured by the Philistines. Oh, when he mentioned the ark of God, the ark of God, his two sons were bad enough, but when he mentioned the ark of God that he was responsible for as high priest of Israel, Eli fell over backwards from the chair and from the side of the gate and his neck was snapped in two. It was broken and he died for he was a very old man and heavy. Why is he heavy? Because he's been eating a lot of that fat that his sons would bring him the first fruits of the offering of the Lord God of Israel. Hophni and Phinehas and Eli are all dead in a single day. Out with the old and in with the new because God had a new plan. A plan to raise up for myself a faithful priest, a new household forever. My anointed one Samuel as priest, as prophet, and the one to anoint the first king. Eli had been the judge of Israel for 40 years. And now a time of judgment was on his house. But wait, there's more. Eli's daughter-in-law is pregnant. Oh, goody, that'll be the next in line to take over the priesthood. She's the wife of Phinehas, the wicked son of Eli. And, and right when her father-in-law is dying with a snap-broken neck, she goes into labor and pangs of labor birth are on her. And she's going to deliver a child. When she hears the tidings that the ark of God has been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband are dead, she bows and gives birth. Birth pangs come about her. It's the time of her death. She'll die in childbearing. And the attendant says, fear not, fear not, you've had a son. Praise the Lord. Somebody who can take over the priesthood of Eli. What are you going to name him? She says his name will be Ichabod. Ichabod? Ichabod. What does it mean? That the glory has departed from Israel. 
You don't see a lot of people naming their kids Ichabod, except Ichabod Crane from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. But Ichabod means that the glory has departed from Israel because the Ark of God has been captured in battle against the Philistines. Now, when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they carried it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Those are Philistine cities. There are five Philistine cities in this chapter. The Philistines took the Ark of God. They brought it where? Into their number one God's house, the God named Dagon, and they set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day to behold, Dagon had fallen face forward on the ground before what? Before the Ark of the Lord God. So they took Dagon and they put him back up in his place. But when they rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen again face downward before the ark of the Lord God and the head of Dagon and both of his hands were lying cut off upon the threshold of the temple of Dagon. And the trunk of Dagon was all that was left of him. And this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon the people of Ashdod. That's a Philistine city. He terrified them. He afflicted them with tumors. This territory, they have the ark there. And all of a sudden, all the people start breaking out with tumors. The ark of the Lord is in this Philistine city. And the people are gathered together and they they don't want it. Well, what is what shall we do with this ark? What shall we do with this ark of the God of Israel? Um, 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 let's send it to Gath. They need a turn. Uh, we, we shouldn't hog it. Let's, let's, let's send it on to Gath. And so they send it on to Gath, the next Philistine city where Goliath came from, son of Orpha. And so they send it up to Gath. And afterwards at Gath, what happens? There's great panic. Everyone gets afflicted with tumors, young and old. These tumors are all on them. And they said, uh, 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 we, we've had it long enough. Uh, yeah, let's send it on to the next city. Let's send it on to Ekron. And so they sent it to Ekron, the ark of God. Nobody wanted this thing. Send this, send this, get, get, get rid of it, get rid of it. Send it to Ekron. The men who did not die were stricken with tumors. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. They kept passing around. You take it, you take it. No, you take it. No, really, we had it. No, please. No, no, after you, no. And they had it for seven months. What shall we do with this ark of the Lord? They all want to get rid of it. They have tumors. Tell us what shall we do to send it to its place? Well, the priests of the Philistines said, you're going to have to give a guilt offering. You're going to have to send a guilt offering. Well, what should we give? What should we give for a guilt offering? How about five golden tumors and five golden mice? Now in Hebrew, there was no specific word for tumor. Some translations say hemorrhoid or emerod, but it's tumor. They had no specific names for rodents. So rats or mice, uh, this would spread the disease. It's kind of like a plague has come over wherever the older editions of the Bible, emerods, hemorrhoids, was spread. There came a multitude of mice in the confusion, great mortality in the city. It's like the bubonic plague or the black plague where rodents will carry the disease. It, it reminded me a little bit of COVID, but we won't go there. But take Take, make images of the tumors and make these golden tumors and put it, send it away, get it out of here. And so they decide that they're going to take a brand new cart, uh, brand new milk cows. They're just given birth. They're nursing. They have baby calves and they put a yoke on them and they put the ark on this cart very carefully. And they, they say, this is going to be a test because these two cows who have never been yoked are nursing their young. And we're going to see if they will take this to the Lord God of Israel. If this is really something, if this is really true, there's no way these cows would leave their nursing young. And so we're going to try this. So they set the ark and they let it go and they watch. 
and the, the cows go, and they know they seem like they know right where they are supposed to go. They don't swerve to the right, they don't swerve to the left, they keep going, they keep going, they keep going. And they put the Ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors, and they go to the direction of Beth Shemesh, is where the Israelites, this is a city where the Israelites are, along one of the highway, the cows are lowing as they go, they turn neither to the left or to the right, the Lord of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. And when the people of Beth Shemeth were out in the field harvesting the wheat in the valley and they saw the ark of the Lord come over the hill, they all rejoiced. The ark of the Lord God, the true presence of God is back with us. It was an amazing sight. They were out in the field and they saw the horses coming with the Ark of the Covenant. And this is at Beth Shemesh. This is where it stopped. And this is a priestly city. There was a great stone there. They split up the wood that the cart was on. Anything that touched the Ark, they burnt as a burnt offering to the Lord. They burnt the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. This is a city where Joshua had been and there were priests on hand. The Levites took the Ark of the Lord. They took the golden figures. They sacrificed everything to the Lord that day. And the golden tumors, which the Philistines had put in as a guilt offering, were one for each of the five Philistine cities and each of the five Philistine lords. And they gave it back to Israel. We don't want your ark. We don't want your God. Now, the Lord slew some of the men at Beth Shemesh, were Israelites, and they looked into the ark of the Lord out of curiosity. Israelites, are you supposed to look into the ark of the Lord? What did we learn our whole 12 years we've been doing this? No, touch the ark. The ark of the covenant is always to be respected, revered, not touched. Why? Because what is it in the New Testament? It's Virgin Mary. And God taught them all the way through, starting here. You never, ever, ever disrespect the ark. You don't touch the ark. You don't look into the ark. You don't get curious about the ark. He, the Lord, slew 70 men that day that looked into the ark. Israelite men, in all their joy and all their rejoicing because the ark was back, they wanted to see those golden tumors and those mice. What the Philistines sent? I want to look, I want to look, I want to look. The men of Bishima said, they see these 70 men of their own dead, and they say, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Now that sounds almost like what Elizabeth said when the new ark came to her. Who is able to stand? Who am I that I should stand before the mother of my Lord, before the true presence of God in your womb? In our psalm today, Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? The men of Bishemeth said, who is able to stand before the ark of the Lord? And to whom shall we go up away from us? So the messengered inhabitants of Kerarath Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord, come down and take it up to you. Because this is a priestly city on the top of a hill, and that is where the ark will rest. They consecrated the son of Eleazar. They put him in charge of the ark of the Lord. And from the day the ark was lodged there, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Samuel is getting older. Samuel says, if you got they've lamented for 20 years they've repented Samuel finally says if you come back to the Lord with all your heart and put away all the foreign gods Dagon Ashtoreth the fertility god of the Philistines all these other Baals all these other husbands that you serve if you direct your heart only to the Lord God of Israel and serve him alone he will deliver us from the hands of the Philistines 
So Israel did it. They put away all their Baals, their Ashtoreth. And Israel said, gather the misfall. I will pray to the Lord for you. There he's acting as a priest. He's interceding for the people to the Lord. He's a go-between, an intermediator, an intercessor. That's what the priesthood is. We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzvah. The Philistines had heard that they were gathered there. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And the people of Israel heard of it and they were really afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord God on our behalf that we might be saved from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a lamb, a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He offered it right there. He prayed. He offered up a burnt offering and the Philistines were drawing near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty voice that day against the Philistines and threw them into a great confusion. And they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out after this Mizpah offering and they pursued the Philistines and they smote them. And Samuel, they beat them, they defeated them, they got them away. Samuel's prayer had worked, his intercession had worked. He took a stone, he set it up. It's called the Ebenezer Stone. And that means, Ebenezer Stone means hitherto the Lord has helped us. That Ebenezer Stone is called the Stone of Help. It sits there to remind all that God is our help. God is our rock. God is our refuge. God is our stone of help. So the Philistines were subdued. They did not again enter into this territory of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities of the Philistines were taken from Israel, were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel returned their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace. There was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged all the days of his life. He made this little circuit of these three cities where he would go and he would judge. Samuel would come back to Ramah, his hometown. He would administer justice there also for Israel. He built an altar to the Lord there. It's still there. Archaeologists have uncovered his altar by his house in Ramah. And Samuel got old. And now his sons are going to be judges over Israel. His firstborn son, Joel, his secondborn son, Abijah, they were judges in Beersheba. But guess what? As good as Samuel was and as favored as he was by the Lord and as called as he was by the Lord, his sons did not walk in his ways. He turned aside again. There's his sons, just like Eli's wicked two sons, Samuel's sons were taking bribes and perverting justice. Then the elders of Israel gathered together. They came to Samuel at Ramah. They said, behold, you're old. Your sons are wicked. They don't walk in your ways. Appoint for us a king. We want a king. We want a king to govern us like the other nations. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. This displeased Samuel. Give us a king. He cried out to the Lord, hearken the people of God. They don't want you, God, as a king. They don't want me. And God said, hey, don't take it personal. You know, they don't like me either. They're rejecting me. They're also rejecting you. They want a king. They want a worldly human king. According to the deeds which have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, they have forsaken me. They've served other gods. They're doing this to you, Samuel, as well. See how I feel? Now hearken to their voice. Only you got to warn him. You got to warn him. You got to tell him exactly what will happen if they get a king. So Samuel took these words to the people and he said, okay, you guys want a king? I just want to tell you, if you get a king, here's what will happen. He's going to make you build chariots. He's going to have lots of horses. He's going to take your sons and put them into wars. He's going to appoint commanders of thousands of, of thousands of commanders. There's going to be lots of wars. He's going to take your harvest. He's going to make you raise food for him. You're going to eat worse than his slaves. He's going to take the top tenth of everything. He's going to 
tax you. He's going to take your, your grapes. He's going to take your grain. He's going to take your daughters and make them into perfumers and cooks and bakers for him. I'm going to tell you everything. You sure you want a king? Are you sure you want a king? They rejected everything he said. Yes, we want a king. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want security. We want to be ready. We want a commander in chief. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. Give us a king. The Egyptians had a king. There's King Tut and his mummified face in Luxor Egypt Museum right now. They had a king. There's King Henry. He fought with the vicar of Christ on earth. He wanted to divorce. They had a king. Americans move from the monarchy in Britain, and we all follow, like, who's going to be king next? Who's going to be king? Americans, a monarchy, but we said, we want a king too. We want a king. We don't care who it is. We want a king. The most powerful man in the world. He can wield his power. We made sports idols kings. Here's King LeBron, James. He's a king. Even hamburgers want a king. Royal food courts. We make a hamburger fit for a king. Do you want a king? Do you want a king? Wise men from the east have been watching the skies. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. It rose in the east and we've come to worship him. Because the heavens were telling the glory of God. And they brought gifts fit for a king. And in the same region there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were so afraid. And the angel said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of King David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And they ran, the shepherds ran with haste to see the newborn king in Bethlehem. But there were other kings, worldly kings, who were threatened by the baby king. And the Edomite, King Herod, demanded the massacre of all infants under age three out of fear of this king, this baby king. And this king lived incognito for the next 30 years. And when he entered Jerusalem for his final Passover, they hailed him as king. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, king of kings, Lord of lords, Hosanna. But it was not the kind of king we wanted. Are you a king? Asked Pilate. He said, you say so. My kingdom is not of this world. Here is your king, Pilate said to the crowd. And he had a sign made in all three languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, king of the Jews. Psalm 8 says, You have made him little less than a god, and have crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the world of thy hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Not quite the king we were expecting. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you want a king? Is this the king that you want to rule your lives? Let's pray. King Jesus, we do want you to rule our lives. We know that your kingdom is not of this world, and we look forward to the eternal kingdom where your guardian angels ushered mom on Saturday on the feast of the guardian angels to that eternal kingdom where you are king of kings and lord of lords and sitting on a throne, and you descended from the royal line of David who was anointed by Samuel, this boy who you called, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will.
will. Please help us. Please help us honor you as King and Lord of our lives. Help us put you on the throne, on the highest throne, on the centerpiece of our lives. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters 4 through 8, and Psalm 8, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.